submit a story, topic, or have any other inquiries, please email submit at skibanewsnation.com. Also, you can email Jeremiah Skiba personally at jeremiah at skibanewsnation.com. Also, email Jake personally at jake at skibanewsnation.com. If you want to write us a letter, send us something, help support us, or just say hi, please send your letter to Jeremiah Skiba, P.O. Box 560-271, The Colony, Texas 75056. If you write us a letter, I'll do my best to write you back. Hey, Skiba News Nation family, thank you for watching. Please like, share, subscribe, Click that notification bell so you never miss an episode of Skiba News Nation. If you want to help support us, please consider becoming a Patreon, where you will get exclusive content, shoutouts, and much more. And you can also support our channel by getting yourself some new Skiba News Nation merch. Thank you for coming on this journey with us as we continue to stay on the quest for truth. Huge shout out to all our Patreon supporters. Thank you so much for your support. We couldn't do this show without you. If you want to help support us, go to patreon.com forward slash Skiba News Nation. Also, you can listen to Skiba News Nation podcasts on your favorite podcast platform. I don't care what it costs. I want to know what the truth is. And I hope that people, my son, anybody, if my name comes up, whether you like me, whether you agree with me or not, at least you can respect the fact that he's on a quest for truth. He's on a quest for truth. Welcome to Skiba News Nation, bringing you unfiltered views, news, interviews, discussions, and more. And now, here's your host, Jeremiah Skiba, award-winning musician and son of Rob Skiba. Hey, Skiba News Nation family, welcome to episode 55 of Skiba News Nation, your weekly source of the latest news, controversial topics, conspiracies, forgotten history, and much more. I'm your host, Jeremiah Skiba, and today we're going to be talking about AI watching you through your walls using Wi-Fi. The war against AI has begun. Sound of freedom conspiracy? Another train crash and evacuation, new revelations about the Nord Stream pipeline, new evidence of the CIA and Oswald and how they're connected, and a new name surfaces, Tucker Carlson destroys and exposes 2024 Republican rhinos, an all-new Opus Corner, and for history, we're going to be talking about the tragic life of Kelsey Grammer, memes, and much more, so stay tuned. Now, as always, I'd like to introduce my great and insightful co-host, Mr. Jake Grant. Welcome, Jake. What's up with you, man? Or what's up? Oh, just same old, same old. Just plugging away. Got some great news for us this week. Uh, I had a buddy after Hebrew Fest came over and has been camped out in my front yard, and we've been mm-hmm. studying ancient manuscripts, diving into the the long lost stories and lore of the ancients. Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, other than other than that, and uh, just spending time with my family, uh, just you know same old man i'm really excited for this week's episode we got some really interesting stuff to talk about let's get into it all right man let's do it
Well, everyone, this week, just wanted to start off and remind you, the key to success is to put God first, right? Mm-hmm. And <laughs> following that, of course, the distraction of the matrix is to lead you astray, to distract you, to confuse you. And we're entering into an age where even truther channels, as we have these mainstream gatekeepers stepping into the alternative media stream, right? We have to be all the more careful that we're not being redirected by somebody that has something truthful to say from the most pressing important topics and things to investigate today. Uh, How do you be a watchman? Well, you don't fall asleep on the watch. And whenever you trust just mainstream people, for example, for what you look at in the world, for what you believe, you're kind of on autopilot. And that's how they redirect you and their agendas. But even with that said, as truthers and, and conspiracy theorists, we, we can't be on autopilot when it comes to our favorite YouTubers or, or whatever as well. And so um, that that's why it's always a, a caveat to remind ourselves that, you know, uh, sometimes we look at mainstream media and see actors, liars, manipulators, thieves, tricksters, brainwashers. But uh, there are many wolves in sheep clothing, so to speak. They're not all just the very blatant, obvious deceivers. There are also those who uh, have agendas and ulterior motives behind good things that they can sway uh, people with, you know, based minds. And so uh, that brings us to uh, something very interesting that I saw. It's uh, the the fact that uh, AI can now use Wi-Fi routers and turn them into cameras that can see people through walls. Which is just mind-blowing that this is possible, but check out this video explaining how it works. So what they did is they had, um, you know, a camera looking at a space with people in it. Um, That's sort of like coming in from one eye. The other eye is the radio signals, so sonar from the uh, Wi-Fi router. And they just learned to predict, like, this is where the human beings are. Then they took away the camera. So all the AI had was the language of radio signals bouncing around a room. And this is what they're able to reconstruct. Real-time 3D pose estimation, right? So suddenly, AI has turned every Wi-Fi router into a camera that can work in the dark, specially tuned for tracking living beings. That's some scary stuff. Whoa. So no matter where you're at, you can't hide from the AI. Unless, of course, you go off grid, you know, but yeah, uh, it makes me wonder, though, if that's what they can do with an a-, a Wi-Fi router, then what about like Elon Musk's Starlink that's crossing the night sky? Last night or a night or two ago, I saw Starlink cross over our backyard and I was like thinking, man, I wonder what other uses other than just giving internet access to people in rural locations those satellites uh make possible so just something uh i found very curious and uh (laughs) we 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 like to talk about blackrock and vanguard because uh, we showed this video a few episodes ago of somebody from o'keefe media group 
releasing a secretly recorded conversation. And it it's funny because they hate being in the media spotlight. But as this interview came out and we learned that, wow, these media controlling corporations that pay off politicians, that, that push forward so many control agendas, they hate being in the limelight. But it's funny because, you know, Elon Musk on Twitter's weighing in on the speculation. Um, and it's just the, the topic that these guys exist and they can run the world by buying politicians and bringing that to the forefront of people's minds decreases the amount of control they can have. And that leads us, of course, to uh, how AI is actually something that they use to manipulate world markets. I think it's called Aladdin, uh, which is the number crunching AI that predicts the fall and rise of world markets. And these these investment corporations use AI. Uh, but not only that, AI is challenging the media entertainment industry. Uh, there was a recent Black Mirror episode uh, that put the idea into the ethosphere, I guess, uh, which is a very popular, very dark, uh, mm -hmm. very mature rated show. But it covers the topic of how AI could be used to use the identities of famous stars to yeah. create infinite content. And it's just really trippy, uh, but this same topic is now being turned over to alternative media types uh, as we talk about this a AI versus human war. Uh, so check out this next video. First major war has broken out between human beings and artificial intelligence. Now this opening skirmish is at the core of the complete Hollywood shutdown as actors have now joined writers on the picket lines. This strike, which is the first of its kind since Ronald Reagan was head of the Screen Actors Guild, as Sagar pointed out, <laughs> it's extraordinary for its breadth and for how it will impact all of our favorite shows and movies. But while the grievances are at their core, typical workers' concerns over wages, working conditions, and fair treatment, the way that tech is upending this entire industry has emerged as a key concern for both the writers and the actors that are involved here. Just take a listen to SAG after President Fran Drescher on why their members overwhelmingly felt compelled to strike. The entire business model has been changed by streaming, digital, AI. This is a moment of history that is a moment of truth. If we don't stand tall right now, we are all going to be in trouble. We are all going to be in jeopardy of being replaced by machines and big business. Who cares more about Wall Street than you and your family? In an interview on MSNBC, she went into even greater depth about some of the specific AI proposals that the union had so recoiled at. Just take a listen. There are things that they want to have our background performers work one day for and get scanned for AI and then they own the likeness of the person digitally and they could use them over and over again. What is going to happen to that yeah. hardworking background person? They're going to be out of business. It, the, the, this the, is the kind of thing that's happening all over the world. The issues that are being brought up are so novel and yet in some ways the struggle is the same as it ever was. 
So just to give you a little bit of context here, according to the Actors Union, Hollywood studios want to be able to scan actors in order to create AI replicas, which those studios could then use for whatever they want, literally forever. Now, if that's true, that proposal would completely destroy the livelihoods of many actors who depend on background work in order to make ends meet, would basically be the end of movie extras. Remember, the overwhelming majority of actors are not the superstar multimillionaire celebrities that become household names. They are more likely to be the background actors who are living paycheck to paycheck, but who are still a key part of making your favorite show or film. Now, the studios did push back on this characterization, saying the current proposal would only allow the AI scans to be used on that particular production for which the background actor is employed. Even that would be really disastrous for them. And apparently this tech is already being deployed in the industry. Actress Lena Hall wrote on Twitter, quote, so Snowpiercer season four did a full body scan and full range of emotion capture of all the series regulars on the show, not ever telling us the real reason why. Now I know why, and it's really disturbing because I did not consent. Writers are also striking in part over AI concerns. They fear that in a world where streaming networks are desperate to churn out just as much content as they possibly can as quickly as possible, studios could turn to AI to cut writers out of the process as much as they can. According to The Independent, quote, members of the Writers Guild of America, WGA, shared concerns that producers may seek to use AI to write scripts or at least use the technology to complete unfinished screenplays plays, and have also urged production houses to agree to safe guards around its usage. Screenwriters fear AI could be used to churn out a rough first draft with a few simple prompts, and writers may then be hired after this initial step to punch such drafts up, albeit at a lower pay rate. These concerns expose the techno-optimist lie that AI will create more jobs than it destroys. Thousands of background actors could be put out of work. How many coders will it take to program their likenesses into the background? Handful, maybe? And the job of writer might remain, but it will be degraded so that they will effectively be assistants to the bots cleaning up the drafts that AI churns out. And what's true for this industry is going to be true for many, many more. Because bosses are always going to look for ways to use fewer workers. Workers are expensive. They have rights. And there's at least some limitations on how much you're allowed to exploit them. Bots? They never talk back, they never need time off, and they require no humanity. If the country only cares about profits for the top, human beings could become truly disposable. That's to say nothing of the way that Hollywood has already been degraded and stripped of beauty, risk-taking, and creativity by the demand to place the safest, most market-palatable bet. Now, you may not think that this fight has a lot to do with you other than creating an annoyance as your favorite show production is delayed. You may think that these Hollywood stars and starlets have nothing in common with you and are privileged to even have the ability to complain about all of this. And you know what? There's some truth to that. After all, it is their prominence, combined with their union power, by the way, which is the only thing that even gives them a chance to push back on any of this. But this is just the beginning. Automation has already come for blue-collar America. Now it's coming for white-collar workers, too. Everyone now has an interest in seeing the shared threat to their livelihoods and supporting one another in these struggles that will draw new lines in the sand of what is acceptable and what is immoral in this new landscape. Bottom line, technology should benefit human beings, not destroy their lives. Because in this future that we are just catching a glimpse of, it's not that people will become wholly irrelevant, it's that the gulf between the haves and have-nots will become ever greater as the owner class separates more and more from the labor class. It's that every last sector of our lives will be colonized, commoditized for profit. 
And if this brave new world can come for Hollywood stars and starlets, what chance do ordinary people ultimately stand? Isn't that interesting? I mean, if that's the level of technology that AI is at, where they can scan Hollywood workers and just create and churn out films, TV shows, without really ever needing those people on set anymore. I mean, you take one scan of your main actor and then you can just have them say and do whatever you want the the ability for just content to be churned out becomes shocking mm -hmm. and uh and and but also the fact that they can use ai to do that to just the everyday person and and create deep fakes and and all this it, it's just amazing to see how this technology is advancing and it's even affecting uh hollywood itself right and so mm -hmm. just uh wanted to show you that video what, what did you think jeremiah i mean like i said i think ai is going to start taking taking the place of artistic people of people that that are you know actors that are you know painters artists just graphic designers now ai can do it so it's like i knew at some point this was going to happen but never thought it would do be like this like a like a actor strike or anything but it's just crazy to see how we're going to war against the ai finally <laughs> yeah i mean it, it really does put a threat on the creative sectors of the world and and it really makes me wonder if AI is going to be able to be used to just scan people and then they can create whatever content they want and it'll look real, it'll be whatever, then there's an aspect of AI media that makes me uneasy. Like, I know we've talked about how in the past that talking to AI is almost like talking to a computerized Ouija board. But when we start watching and consuming media that AI has been you know applied to it makes me wonder if the level of brainwashing and agendas and and subtle subconscious mind control that's able to be slipped into this new era of media will be uh you know make it dangerous make it something that we have to be very careful of and um we won't be able to tell reality from fiction and I don't know. I don't mean to be a doom and gloomer, but it is kind of telling that... Uh, I mean, it's the truth. Know. I mean, the doom and gloom, if it's the truth, it sucks. I mean, sometimes the truth yeah. sucks. But well, we got to keep you know, fighting. I'm not afraid. <laughs> yeah, let's keep fighting, it just makes man. Me, exactly. I mean, it just makes me want to support more uh, alternative media, alternative uh, film, and, and just encourages me that there are ways outside of the B system. We're not helpless. And I mean, part of it is the hook of the entertaining stories and shows that we've grown up on. Uh, if they offer us a carrot on a stick, you know, they can get us to fall into their trap. But if we're mentally as well as physically exiting Babylon, then we're not going to be wanting to watch all their shows that could be full of indoctrination and, AI, you know, whatever. And uh, that uh, that's interesting that we're talking about this because um, recently uh, Elon Musk not only was calling out Black, BlackRock and Vanguard, but he recently called out Google uh, 
uh, the Google exec. So check out this next video. Elon was on Tucker last night. It's part one, part two of their interviews tonight. And Elon started talking about some conversations he was having with Google about AI. Folks, this is one of the most disturbing answers I think I've ever heard. How one of the most powerful companies in the history of planet Earth, a trillion dollar company, Google, how Google right now, some of the people involved who were involved early on and probably filtered down to the company are talking about creating some kind of digital God, small g. This is crazy. Take a listen. The, the reason uh, OpenAI exists at all is that um, Larry Page and I used to be close friends and I would yes. stay at his house in Palo Alto and I would talk to him late into the night about uh, AI safety. and. At least my perception was that Larry was not taking uh, AI safety uh, seriously enough. Um, and um, what did he say about it? He really seemed to be one um, once once sort of digital super intelligence, basically digital god, if you will, uh, uh, as soon as possible. Um, he wanted that. Yes, he's, he's made many public statements over the years. Uh, that, that the whole goal of Google is uh, uh, what's called AGI, artificial general intelligence or artificial superintelligence. You know, and I, and I agree with him that the, there's great potential for good, um, but there's also potential for bad. And so if, if you've got some um, radical new technology, you want to try to take a set of actions that maximize probably it, it will do good and minimize probably it will do bad things. Yes. Um, it, it can't just be health leather. Let's just go, you know, barreling forward and you know, hope for the best. And then at one point, uh, I said, well, what about, you know, who we're going to make sure humanity's okay here. Um, <laughs> and, 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 um, uh, and then he called me a speciest. Uh, <laughs> Folks, you realize some of these people Elon's talking to would love nothing more than have human beings subordinated to an artificial digital intelligence. They would love nothing more. You understand how frightening that is? Imagine the ability of an artificial digital intelligence to give every human being, say, a score, zero to 100. And depending on that score, based on how it analyzes your political leanings, where you buy your groceries, if you volunteered enough hours, if you cross in the crosswalk, if you jaywalk, what the speed of your car is through the computer it's connected to, because everything will be interconnected. In, in web 7.0, whatever it is. Imagine you get that score and the computer tells you with that score what you can and can't do. A score of 70, no kidney transplant for you, you're not worth it. A score of 95, oh yeah, you'll get the antibiotics. Imagine that. You don't have to imagine. It's here right now. Oh, it is. Listen to this. This is from on one of the major network news channels. It's a report on the social credit scoring system in China. Pay very, very close attention to this clip. Ladies and gentlemen, it's already here. The Chinese Communist Party, listen about, I don't know, 30 seconds in or so, they talk about how artificial intelligence is being used to grade every single citizen in China. And there's certain things you can get or not get, jobs, healthcare, whatever, depending on your score. It's already here check this out it's called the social credit system and in one version now being tested a person's reputation is scored on a scale of 350 to 950 and how you with a good score of 752 is okay with it in fact most people are it's a mechanism like 
pushes you to become a better citizen. It's big data meets Big Brother, expanding how the government monitors, understands, and ultimately controls its 1.4 billion citizens. Thanks to advances in artificial intelligence and facial recognition, and a web of more than 200 million surveillance cameras. Are people bothered by privacy concerns? We think uh, a lot of cameras keep the safety. It's uh, really good. We can accept it. Companies are experimenting with the algorithms to help the government create the new national social credit system. The government also has pilot projects. In one, citizens are required to do hours of unpaid work to get benefits, and scores are docked for things like littering, a messy yard, gossip, even jaywalking. Video of offenders is shown on the local news. And information collectors like Joe I. Nee are paid to report on their neighbors, her quota, 10 entries a month. Like the man who carried a drunk person home. A good deed, she says. Good social credit gets rewarded with perks like cheap loans and travel deals. But a bad score means public shame and worse. Chinese Communist Party is working on a pilot project. You guys catch that for unpaid work? Uh, that's got a name, folks. Unpaid work. And if the algorithm, i.e. the AI, doesn't like the amount of unpaid work you've done. You get a lower social score, therefore you can't get access to loans. What do you mean, like to buy a house or a car or something like that? You know, we, we, we joke a lot on the show because we, we, we tend to use humor and sarcasm to take the edge off what is an edgy show sometimes. I get that. But this isn't funny. We're really at a conspiracy Everything we were told was some crazed conspiracy theory on this show has materialized, has materialized and come true. It's no longer theoretical. It's a conspiracy, but it's not theoretical. We've been warning you about this social credit scoring system. And now in conjunction with the growth in AI that makes this make this more powerful. Most people outside of my audience and conservatives that watch, you know, Fox and Newsmax and elsewhere ignored the story. Very interesting. I mean, I know I mentioned that video of them affecting Hollywood. Uh, and now we look at the social credit score system and how AI could be applied to everyday life. And what I believe it is, is in our culture where the love of God has grown cold, where people have no honor anymore, uh, systems are being put in place to restore a system of social credit or social honor, right? Because people innately just don't love their brother. They don't try to do good because of their own innate desire. They now have to have a carrot stuck in front of them to coax them to start treating their neighbor nice. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's, it's the AI system of encouraging people to do good for reward. And to me, what it does is it allows even more totalitarian control and reach of government into your life. It's just a really interesting time to be alive. And we can see how, uh, while this is being applied in China, uh, other people around the world are looking at social credit score. And the way that it would be implemented in the West would, of course, be likely tied to central bank digital currency, 
Um, and for example, you wouldn't get um, a, a bonus from the government if you didn't participate in certain programs or behave a certain way, or if you had a, a digital presence that they viewed as dangerous or misinformation, they would dock you in some way. And that's how we can see it kind of playing out across the world. But very interesting, very, very interesting. What were your thoughts on the AI topic, Jeremiah? I mean, I think it's scary stuff. I think you, you, you summarized it very nicely. I mean, that's... You know, one thing uh, back on the movie AI, what about the independent studios that are, or the uh, small studios that only have a few employees uh, that want to produce a movie, but don't have the money or the budgets or everything like the big studios have? That's a good point. I mean, it's almost like AI could put a lot of people out of business um, because they won't be able to compete with the amount of content that could be cranked out. Um, but also, it to me, it does put more value on the homegrown uh, movies and the self-producers that don't fall in line with where technology is going. And they, they create practical effects and they have real actors. Um, honestly, it would just make those more valuable, in my opinion. Well, uh, so uh, we have, you know, this topic of uh, film and Hollywood uh, taking the world by storm, of course, is The Sound of Freedom, knocking Disney's uh, Indiana Jones film out of the box office. Uh, the Sound of Freedom has an interesting conspiracy that's following it right now, which is theaters are encountering all Dude. sorts of issues when people go to watch it. So uh, let's watch this next I had video. One. And your... I'll talk about oh, it after. Oh, really? You'll, you'll uh, have to uh, tell us about it. All right. Guys, it's really interesting that all of these uh, coincidences are happening. Check this out. Something isn't right here. When people come out and complain, it's not our fault. We have to get this situated so that everybody can feel accommodated, and then we'll restart the movie. With our projector, we had to wait for it to download the movie. Um, it's going to be about 30 minutes. Everyone in here is going to get a free film pass. If you want to leave, that's understandable. I'll do a refund. I can help you. In a bathroom, Tim regards himself in a mirror. So I've been seeing all over TikTok. So my fiance and I just watched the movie Sound of Freedom that exposes sex traffickers. And do you want to tell them what happened in the movie theater? All right, AMC, I don't know what's going on here, but first off, the AC was- So my husband and I tried to see Sound of Freedom today and about an hour into the movie, this is at an AMC. So 
weird coincidences happening all over the country as people try to watch this movie and the air conditions out the technical difficulties the interesting thing i wanted to make a comment on was just the fact that people are reporting sold out movie theaters and when they go and watch the film the whole theater's empty and i wanted to comment on this and and people love a bandwagon to jump on and and part of my theory is that because people are seeking to have uh, solidarity with this cause of exposing sex trafficking, they're buying tickets for people that aren't going to the movie at all. And so they're, they're using these tickets that people are buying for others to f buy out movie theaters that don't have anybody attending. And, mm -hmm. and to me, it's kind of a, it's pro it's some type of dirty trick for, the movie theaters to just rake in all of these tickets that are being bought online uh, for people. And I don't know exactly how it works. It's just a theory I have, oh, but it well, is curious that at the end of the movie, he talked, uh, the, I think it's Jim Caviezel talks to people and he says, Hey, you should buy somebody else's ticket. So if somebody's buying a whole bunch of tickets for other people, that makes sense. Exactly. And, and it's kind of interesting because they're, bumping in the box office like having these millions of you know millions of dollars above the budget that it took to make the movie and they're saying that all these people are going to watch it and yes there are quite a few people that are going to watch it but i wonder how the numbers are being skewed based on the fact that people are buying tickets for films that people aren't watching you know the film that i mean they're empty movie theaters so where is all this money going to? Is it actually going to good causes? Um, yeah. And so uh, what was your experience, Jeremiah, with the movie theater? Did what, You said something happened to you as well? Yeah, so me and my girlfriend, Lindsay, we were, we were going to go see the movie. So we, we went to, uh, do you know what a studio movie grill is? I don't know if they're all over the country or not. But it's like where you can eat dinner and watch watch the movie at the same time. So... We got there, and normally you get there, it says to get there about 30 minutes early, I guess. And uh, so we got there, and there were there were like guards by the door. They wouldn't let us in. And we, we waited for about an hour until it started. Like, I, I don't know what was happening, but it was late. And it was really, it was to the point where, where my, my girlfriend, who's, you know, not as conspiratorial as i am she looked at me and she said this is weird <laughs> like this is very very weird and we've been to this theater thousands of times and nothing like this has ever happened and it was it was a weird feeling but it was full but it was full of like it felt like and this was just my opinion felt like people who wouldn't normally see the movie like they were just filling up the seats like like they got a free ticket or the theater let them in i mean it was kind of strange to me i mean just the hour itself that we waited to get in it's like what's going on here and they were like oh we're cleaning we looked in there they weren't cleaning they were doing something but we couldn't couldn't see that's interesting i mean i think there's something to this i mean there's a reason that this film is so successful maybe it's a turning point and exposing the darkness of this world uh maybe there's more to the story like i shared last week where it's leading to the possible microchipping of our children right yeah. um so uh 
you know, it, it is a interesting spectacle that has become very widely published. But one of the things that's interesting here uh, that I wanted to share uh, in regards to this topic is, you know, they should start reporting the number of kids that go missing every day the way they report COVID numbers, right? Maybe mm -hmm. that would get people's attention. <laughs> yeah. Uh, of course, this film's waking people up. And we see the mainstream media is uh, doing an interesting cover-up of the film, trying to discredit it as they do, uh, pushing the fact that he's tied to QAnon theories. And um, and whenever you look at like how these mainstream media uh, articles are are publishing it, you know, that's all relating him to being a crazy conspiracy theorist, QAnon theories and whatnot. Um, uh, fantasy fit uh, they're calling it all fantasy they're just it, it's just crazy I mean they're definitely trying to uh, cover up this film and it, it, it makes sense this is a, a multi-billion dollar industry and we know that it's definitely got its tendrils deep into the media and Hollywood and um, just uh, you know I, I've been paying attention to it and I found it interesting if it is true that the AMC theaters are all coincidentally experiencing issues when people try to go watch it. Mm -hmm. All right. So uh, let's see here. Our uh, next video is some more uh, just pressing real world news. Uh, there was another train crash and homes are being evacuated. Check out this next video. Oh, great. This is Dabu 7. A heads up here as we have homes being evacuated after this train carrying hazardous materials has derailed outside of Philadelphia. They're saying that this is a 40-car CSX Norfolk Southern train derailing in Montgomery County, Pennsylvania. This was just before 5 a.m. This has prompted emergency crews to respond to the area of White Marsh Township. They say that between 15 and 20 of the derailed cars were carrying hazardous materials. This is prompting a level two hazmat response. So officials have evacuated houses and businesses. People getting knocks on the door very early this morning, waking them up, running them out of their home because of this. So around this area of the derailment, as a precaution, they've evacuated all these places. And again, there are up to 20 derailed cars here leaking hazardous materials as you can see here all the cars kind of bent up there on the tracks and this is just an ongoing situation i want to make sure that everyone around here knows there's no known injuries at this time and we do not know if, if this had ever caught fire what i see and what i hear right now it has not which is good but still this could be leaking into local waterways and contaminating the surrounding area. So again, these evacuations ordered after this derailment. Follow me on Twitter for more breaking news and updates. Hit that subscribe button for more. This has been Dabu7. Stay safe, y'all. Wow. Uh, I wonder why all these trains keep crashing. Uh, if, if there's some type of saboteur element to this, uh, taking out the United States ability very, to very old infrastructure 
we haven't been maintaining our rail systems. It's very old from back in World War II days. That definitely makes a lot of sense. Just, I mean, the, the amount of cargo and goods that are transported around by trains is enormous. I mean, compared to transporting something by wheel, you know, trucking, uh, trains are fairly affordable and it's kind of it doesn't make sense that we've not updated and and turned the train transportation system into something much more reliable and sturdy uh, but it's just funny you know we, I know we covered the big uh, train derailment um, that poisoned the skies over Ohio and um, and uh, with that said, uh, here's another interesting uh, push for the globalization of environmental agendas. And uh, it's happening right now uh, in Ireland. Check out this next video. Farmers in Ireland are protesting against the government's plan to slaughter 200,000 dairy cows to reduce greenhouse gas emissions <laughs> oh man wow. how crazy that's crazy. i guess the cows are a little too flatulent you know <laughs> um it, it, it's just it's just insanity man and uh this is the kind of stuff that they're pushing the, to the party of the brainwashed right that in order to help fight climate change you should start with reproductive rights <laughs> so in order to push this agenda, not only are they taking, you know, an attack on farmers, agriculture, but they're also telling us we should abort our children or not have children. And that's how we can curb environmental climate change. And it's just insanity, man. It's insanity how these agendas are being pushed forward. But, uh, yeah, just keeping you guys aware of what's going on around the world. Uh, we've talked in the past about the Nord Stream terror attack and the destruction of that pipeline uh, and the possible role that the United States government may have had. Well, uh, here's another video on that topic. Well, why won't the international community investigate the bombing of the Nord Stream pipeline, the largest ecological disaster, the largest ecological attack in world history? Seems like a good idea, maybe to get some answers on that. Um, they don't seem to really care about that. Tucker Carlson asked that question to presidential candidate Nikki Haley uh, over the weekend, and she didn't have any kind of answer. Watch. Well, speaking of, of energy in the military, who blew up the Nord Stream pipeline? I mean, I, I don't know. Do I'm, not, I'm not claiming you did it. No. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I don't know. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Do you know who did it? Uh, seems pretty obvious. It was backed by the Biden administration, I would say. I mean, I think all the evidence suggests that, but I wasn't there. I guess uh, what I'm really saying is if you were running against the Biden administration to do something like that and shaft our closest allies in the world, which would be Western Europe, and deprive them of the energy they need to run their manufacturing sector and destroy their economy, which it is in the process of doing, like that's a major sin to have done something like that. You just well, betrayed our allies and no one on the right is accusing the Bidens of what they clearly did. So I don't know why. 
My next guest, though, is asking that question. Jeffrey Brodsky is a journalist who just testified before the United Nations. Watch. Thank you very much. My name is Jeffrey Brodsky. I'm the only journalist to travel to all four blast sites of the Nord Stream 1 and 2 pipelines on the Baltic Sea. I've been investigating the Nord Stream sabotage since the day it occurred on September 26, 2022. I appear before the United Nations Security Council on my own behalf. I represent no government or organization in the testimony that I will deliver. The attack of the Nord Stream pipelines is likely the most severe act of eco-terrorism and the largest instance of industrial sabotage in history. And Jeffrey joins us now to talk about his investigation and looking into the Nord Stream pipeline. Jeffrey, welcome to the show. Thank you, Clayton. Pleasure to be here. So why did you start investigating this? Oh, um, well, I was, when this took place on September 26, 2022, when the sabotage occurred, um, I was just fascinated by it. And I was a little bit taken aback, frankly, um, that it didn't seem like the mainstream media in particular was, was interested in asking any hard questions or um, really investigating the sabotage. Um, and I, so I read as much about it as I possibly could. I talked to some politicians, mainly European politicians. I talked to some experts, um, researchers and scholars, and I learned as much about the sabotage as I possibly could. And then when I did, um, when I felt that I had enough knowledge, I started contacting some editors of uh, magazines and newspapers, and they were interested in what I was saying. And then I became, uh, then I started um, really investigating even even more deeply and more thoroughly um, um, into into what happened into the sabotage. To dive even more deeply into this, um, you testified before the United Nations, bringing to their uh, bringing to their attention some things that you found. Uh, you're one the only journalist, to my knowledge, that's gone to all four of the different sites. Um, what did you find? How did you, first of all, how did you locate these sites, and how, and what did you find when you got there? Okay, so um, yeah, I th I think I am the only um, journalist to go to all four blast sites. Um, they, they they're not difficult to locate. Um, anyone can you know geo coordinates, uh, longitude, latitude. They, they can be located quite easily. Um, we had a sonar um, device on our boat, um, and the I went with a, we chartered a boat, um, and the captain and his first mate were very knowledgeable. Um, these people um, take they do a lot of expeditions on the Baltic Sea, and it was quite easy for them to locate all four all four of the blast sites. Um, as to what we found, well, um, we found. The, what was most significant that we found was the purpose of our expedition was really three things. We wanted to, one, determine the amount of explosives used um, at each blast site in the attack. We wanted in kilograms. We wanted to figure out where the explosives were placed, where the bombs were placed, where they placed on the pipeline, under the pipeline, um, next to the pipeline. Um, and we wanted to figure out what type of charges were used. Were these linear shaped charges? Were these bulk, bulk explosives? Were these um, canonical charges? Um, and we were able to do that um, by capturing um, underwater drone images um, and videos that had never been seen by the public before of all four blast sites. And we were able to do that by also um, capturing sonar images of all four blast sites. I then took this data um, that was obtained through the expedition and I showed it to explosive experts, um, ex-US Navy SEALs, um, the managing director of an explosive engineering company. 
And for the first time, they were able to calculate accurately um, the amount of explosives um, used in the attack at, at all four of the blast sites, for example. Um, that was really significant because um, before it had been reported uh, previously, um, and er erroneously, I should say, that it was um, up to, for example, about 500 kilograms of explosives used at each site or even more. Um, but those calculations were were inaccurate and they were just far over overestimated. Um, these experts that I talked to um, and have quoted in my articles, they've said that it's between 10 and 50 kilograms um, per blast site. Why is that significant? significant? Can you educate us? Yeah, why is that significant? Well, it's significant because, you know, knowing um, the amount of explosives used um, and used can is one of the clues to how the operation was carried out, how it could have been carried out, what was used to carry um, to carry out the operation. Perhaps um, the size of example, the boat? Yeah. Size of the boat, certainly. Um, whether or not, you know, divers went, whether or not a submarine would have been needed, perhaps what kind of UUV would have been required. Um, and, you know, that would indicate that, you know, a smaller boat could have been possibly used. <laughs> and it also indicates that divers were likely used. A submarine was probably not involved, or it may have been, but, you know, a diver could have done this certainly without the assistance of a submarine, according to the experts I've spoken to. Um, so that was all significant. Um, you know, those were significant findings um, and clues um, that could really um, lead to, you know, hopefully at some point unmasking a perpetrator. So fewer than 500 kilograms of explosive used at these four different blast sites. Vastly Ten. fewer. Um, 10 to 50 and 50 would be the very high range. Most of the experts I've spoken to said it's, you know, closer to the 50 figure than the 10, than the 10 figure. So what was the United Nations response when you presented this data to them? Well, the United Nations response was, I, unfortunately, what, what its response has been, you know, since this took place, you know, approximately eight months ago. Um, it seems that everyone, that all the countries and security councils kind of fell back to their previous positions, um, which is that there is, an, you know, saying that there is an ongoing investigation. Um, I should say there are three ongoing investigations conduct, um, they be conducted by Sweden, Germany, and Denmark, separate investigations. And they keep saying, um, well, we should just relate, wait for these results. But, you know, it's very unlikely, at least according to the experts I've spoken to, and at least what we know about, you know, um, underwater surveillance systems, that these countries, at least Sweden in particular, doesn't know what happened, and the U.S. doesn't know what happened. And it seems to me that these countries are dragging their feet. Um, and, you know, when $26 billion of critical infrastructure is blown up, infrastructure that was critical to the European economy, particularly the German economy, which is often called the motor of the European Union, um, is sabotaged, um, it seems to me that the public has a right um, to know who did this and how it happened. Um, and it's in the public interest to know. And I'm not really sure why um, there isn't consensus um, in the UN Security Council about this. What surprised you the most, apart from this, maybe the size of the explosives? Was there anything that stood out to you that maybe contradicted some of the reporting we've seen from Seymour Hirsch and others that point, point fingers specifically I, I, I don't know at the if United Nations? Yeah, I, I'm not sure if the if Seymour Hersh's reporting has been outright contradicted, but you know he did um, he did mention in an interview, um, maybe two interviews, I'm not really sure, um, that there was probably two bombs used on each pipeline. Um, it looks like there was just one um, bomb used on each pipeline, and it looks like um, 
but on the other hand, there are some things in this reporting that you know seem to be corroborated. Um, that there were probably divers used. Um, and do we know from whom, which country, who was involved? I mean, again, what Seymour Hersh has said is one thing, and there now it seems to be the United States and the mainstream media in the United States is trying to push the blame off on some rogue Ukrainians um, within Ukrainian security service that no longer alive. So it's an easy scapegoat. Um, what does your research show you about that? Able to confirm or deny any of that? Um, it's not. It's not able to confirm or de deny any of that. But there is some. There's some open source um, research that can. You know that indicates that the United States and its allies, um, particularly the United States and Sweden, um, know who exactly who did this. Um, and I'm just going to you know, kind of quote. There was an article, a wonderful article by James Bamford in the Nation, and he talks about something called. Um, what he calls a little-known and highly secretive integrated undersea surveillance system. This is a surveillance system that was um, that is that was built by the U.S. Um, with the um, with Sweden's help, ironically. Um, and what it is is these are kind of arrays of acoustic sensors that are tethered to the seafloor. And what these what they do what this surveillance system does is it can analyze distinct engine sounds. So if you have, you know, whether it's aircraft or whether it's a sea vessel, whether it's subsea or a surface vessel, you can turn off your transponder. There's also ways for, you know, satellite not to detect you, but it's really tough to turn off your engine and go anywhere. So just by the, you know, the, you know, let's very um, unsophisticatedly call it the purr of the engine, you can identify and um, actually fingerprint, as James Banford says in his piece, you can fingerprint the vessel. Hmm. So if these vessels can be fingerprinted, the question is, why haven't, why hasn't the U.S. said anything about these vessels? Why haven't they made these vessels public? Well, Jeffrey, you know, and, of course, the Baltic Sea, I mean, it's incredibly remote. No one can go there. Um, maybe a few penguins. It's so far removed from civilization. Of course, I'm being sarcastic here. The Baltic Sea is a major thoroughfare. And can anything happen in the Baltic Sea that we don't know about? Well, you know, Clayton, as I, as I mentioned earlier, I'm, you know, I interviewed um, a lot of people um, on the record and off the record. And one of the um, MPs, the uh, European MPs, a German MP that I interviewed, um, you know, I asked him basically that same question. Um, you know, is it possible that we, we still don't know? And I should say this MP also, I believe he sits on uh, intelligence committees. Um, he, you know, he said, and I'm paraphrasing, but I, I, I quoted him exactly in my United Nations remarks. Um, that he said something like to me, you know, Jeffrey, um, this is the most highly monitored and trafficked body of water um, on the planet. Um, this is the Baltic Sea. This is not Mars. Um, how is it possible that a massive, you know, terrorist attack like this takes place in the middle of the Baltic Sea? And everyone's, you know, and now I'm speaking, not him. Um, you know, everyone throws up their arms and says, you know, we, we're stumped. We don't know. Doesn't, it's remarkable. It doesn't seem to add up. Yeah, there's a lot that doesn't add up here. Uh, one piece I'll just kind of get you out of here on this point, and it's come to light in the past few days with this attack on the on in Crimea over the bridge over the past 24 hours, that the BBC reports, well, the Ukrainians contacted us, and yes, it was the Ukrainian Navy along with the Ukrainian Security Service that carried out this attack, and they're very proud of this attack, right? So this Ukrainian Navy, where, is, where does this Ukrainian Navy pop up from out of? Because we've heard when the attack on the Nord Stream, well, Ukraine doesn't have a Navy anymore. It's been destroyed. 
but now the Ukraine Ukraine has a navy suddenly. So there's this back and forth debate about well, where's 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 Ukraine getting this navy all of a sudden? Um, anything come to light in your research about that the Ukrainian navy piece of this and what type of ship might have been used? Um, the, not what type of ship can be used, but you know there is again some open source. Um, things on there, or, or now it's open source. You know, the Discord leaks, you probably remember, I think it was quoted in the Washington Post. Um, Zelensky is quoted as saying, um, you know, that they should maybe blow up other pipelines, other Russian pipelines. And, uh, you know, I should also say, you asked me, um, Clayton, about, you know, why, why why was it so significant to go to all four blast sites? Um, you know, the BBC um, chartered an expedition to one of the blast sites in October, of two, I think it was October of 2022. So just a month after the sabotage occurred. Um, and, you know, they made a big mistake. They um, actually only went to one of the blast sites and it's very, it's almost 100% accurate to say they did not even find natural blast site. What they did is they found a, a 250 50 meter long rupture in the pipeline, if I remember correctly. And this, when you have a 250 meter long rupture, you can't determine where was the bomb placed, um, how, how, you know, how many um, explosives and kilograms were used. Um, you can't really draw any significant conclusions. Um, experts can't draw any drawing significant conclusions. So, and furthermore, the BBC, when you, it's, what they found was a large rupture in the pipeline. In other words, just a large hole. But the rupture was actually not caused by a bomb um, or the explosions. The rupture was caused by the overpressure of gas, the rapid release of the gas um, due to the bomb in a separate area of the pipeline. So what was really significant is we went to um, Nord Stream 2 Line A in the Swedish exclusive Swedish economic zone. And that is, you know, the depressurized site. This site was blown, this line was blown up twice. And the site we went to was blown up approximately 17 hours after the first explosions. And therefore, when you show images and pictures um, or picture images and videos to experts of this site, you're able to, they, they were able to um, make accurate conclusions, draw accurate conclusions about the, the amount of charges, the placement of the charges and the, and the, and the type of charges. That, that's what's really significant. And it was curious to me, you know, why the BBC, and I think there was a, a, a later expedition just last month in June um, by Danish TV to a public television station. And it was curious to me why they didn't go to the, you know, the depressurized site. Why didn't they go to line A, Nord Stream 2 in the Swedish zone? Because that's really the site that can, that can provide clues and insight into how the sabotage was carried out. <laughs> Convenient. Convenient omission, uh, which is exactly what the media is excellent at. Jeffrey Brodsky, we look forward to your continued reporting on this. We'd love to have you back on the show as you uncover more about this story, which I think is one of the most important stories of our time, uh, the bombing of the Nord Stream pipeline. Thank you so much for this. We appreciate it. Wow. So uh, we definitely have some type of more than meets the eye story here with the Nord Stream. And you heard there uh, during that Tucker Carlson interview where he's like straight out calling out the United States for mm -hmm. and the Biden administration for blowing that thing up. And it is interesting, this led to the drastic rise in energy prices in Europe uh, because they didn't have that pipeline bringing in uh, natural fuels. And it's all more than meets the eye. And of course, there are government cover-ups and false flag events, uh, Gulf of Tonkin type things. 
but uh, here is another interesting government cover-up that's getting a little bit more light shed on it. We've covered it in the past, of course. Uh, Jeremiah even did a segment where uh, a popular movie star's father could have had a role in the JFK assassination. But check out this clip on how a new name has surfaced regarding the assassination of JFK. Joining us now for more on all of this is Jefferson Morley, editor of JFK Facts, blog and author of Scorpion's Dance, the president, the spymaster and Watergate. Jefferson, thanks so much for joining us. Okay. After six decades, the CIA did reveal the name of the official who was intercepting and reading Lee Harvey Oswald's mail. Why do you think we're just learning that name now? We're just learning that name now because there is strong circumstantial evidence that the CIA was running a covert operation involving Oswald while President Kennedy was alive. The New York Times reported yesterday on this document, this man's name had never been made public before, and it gives lie to the notion that there's nothing significant in these documents. That is a highly significant disclosure, and I might add, the man's name was not withheld because he was living. The man who wrote the memo about reading Oswald's mail died 30 years ago. So his name was kept secret, not because he was alive, but because of the activity that he was participating in. And I don't think most Americans know that Oswald did have a connection to the CIA, that the CIA was so interested in him that they were reading his mail for 20 months. Why were they doing that? And the by the, I mean, by the way, the man's name is Ruben Efron. And yes. he was reading for several months. He was opening Oswald's mail before the assassination. He was reading it. Why was he doing that? That's a very good question. And the CIA has never disclosed why he was doing that. Now, we can infer that it was because he had, was a Marine and had defected to the Soviet Union. But we don't know that. The CIA has never explained why they were surveilling the man who had allegedly killed the president. They never disclosed the name of this man until now, 30 years after his death. So it stands to reason that all of this activity is considered highly classified by the CIA. So if there's 4,000 plus documents that still contain redactions, which is our best understanding, you know, why can't we see those and satisfy ourselves that there's not anything more in there? The CIA is asking for us to take that, you know, to, for us to take them at their word. And the fact is, you know, when they've been disclosing this or not disclosing this material for so many years, right. there's no reason to take them at their word. And, we need and, full disclosure. And Efren was also present when Oswald's widow testified before the Warren Commission, which investigated the assassination, why do you think he was there? Because there was an intelligence operation around Oswald, and Reuben Efron was part of the effort to protect the sources and methods of that operation. That's what CIA officers do. And I believe that's what's going on today. The CIA is protecting sources and methods around CIA operations involving Lee Harvey Oswald while President Kennedy was alive. The New York Times reported on this memo on Monday. It is very significant, and it's a sign that we don't have the full story. Efron's boss apparently told the FBI on the day of the assassination that the CIA had no information about Oswald. 
Did he tell the FBI, yes, but even so, we were reading his, e his mail? I mean, it doesn't, in other words, why would no, they no, say no. We, we have no information about Oswald and, and, and neglect to say, but we've been for some reason opening and reading his mail for months? That's a very important memo also, Elizabeth, that yes, Efron's boss denied to the FBI that the CIA collected any information on Oswald. In fact, the CIA's Oswald file had at least 11 documents generated by the CIA, as well as numerous letters that had been intercepted. So that's another sign that they're protecting operational activity around Oswald right from the day of the assassination. And it continues to this day. Jefferson Morley, it sure would just be helpful if all the documents were released and we can put all these questions Absolutely. to bed, right? Because it's a lot of questions. There's no proof of anything, but there's certainly a lot of very, very logical questions. I really yes. appreciate you being here tonight. Thanks. Thank you. So I got to get your thoughts on that, Jeremiah. What do you think about this? this guy and i mean is this just more of a, a misdirection cover-up from what we've talked about in the past or what are your thoughts on that news story i mean so he was checking his mail is that is that what the what i got from it yeah pretty much they just showed that they had revealed the name of the agent who was actively reading that guy's uh, oswald's mail i think uh, it, so it says I a lot it, it says a lot i mean that i mean that's it's like a new revelation about how they're connected, the CIA and Oswald, and you know they always claim that they they had no no knowledge of Oswald, and now it's fact, and people always suspected that. I don't think Oswald did anything. That's my personal opinion, as you know, but um, that's crazy. And 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 the reason why they won't release those documents is because. I don't, I don't know if it's because they, they want us to be conspiracy theorists or if there's something in there that would totally destroy our democracy. Hmm. Good point. Well, I just figured you'd get a kick out of that one. It recently came out. Uh, they're still redacting so much about the story. Mm -hmm. After so many years, they're supposed to have released all the documents and they're still... Biden, you know, he still allowed some of those documents about JFK to be redacted, which is just... It just shows that there's something truly deep and under, you know, and hidden about that whole narrative, and uh, and it reveals, I think, how our government operates. Yep. Well, uh, I know you're a fan of Tucker Carlson, and for our last news story, or uh, we're entering in, of course, to the election run-up for mm -hmm. 2024, and Tucker is uh, kind of poaching some rhinos some republicans in name only and uh he says some interesting stuff so i figured you get out a, a, a kick out of this next clip get him tucker our economy has degraded public filth and disorder and crime have exponentially increased and yet your concern is that the ukrainians a country most people can't find on a map who've received tens of billions of U.S. tax dollars don't have enough tanks. I think it's a fair question to ask, like, where's the concern for the United States in that? Well, it's not my concern. Now, after that clip had gone viral, 
Mike Pence actually came out saying that his full remarks paint a different story. So to be fair, Pence was likely answering a question that Tucker had asked several sentences earlier, but it just goes to show how Pence has a fundamental misunderstanding of modern day voters. That's not my concern was trending on Twitter, and his official reaction was, no, you have to listen to this two minute video to see what I really meant. Mike, it's gonna be really hard to hype up your voters when your voice sounds like NyQuil washing down an ambient. Because sadly, Mike Pence's presidential ambitions became the first casualty of what Politico was calling the Tucker primary, where Tucker Carlson became Mr. Blackheart from The Simpsons, because he has enough ivory to make a piano after poaching all those rhinos. As Tucker did quick one-on-one -on -one interviews with former Vice President Mike Pence, South Carolina Senator Tim Scott, former UN Ambassador Nikki Haley, former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson, current Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, an entrepreneur and dark horse presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy. Now Tucker didn't sit down with each candidate with a list of boring questions. He actually let the conversations flow while asking important questions, but then really challenging them on their more wishy-washy answers, especially when inquiring about one of the more important issues in the world right now, Ukraine. Uh, the spring you described the war in Ukraine as a quote, territorial dispute. You seem to change your view and describe Putin as a war criminal and say that it was central to America's foreign policy. Why did you change and where are you now? If you're going to commit to do military, whether it's aid or whether it's troops, uh, you need to have a concrete idea of what you're trying to achieve. And so my critique of the D.C. foreign policy elite is that they are doing a blank check policy without telling us when we will have achieved our objective. They then try to smear you and say, oh, you must be for Putin. I've always thought Putin's a bad guy. I still think he's a bad guy. Which, that sounds good. We don't want endless wars overseas, but I didn't hear much of an exit strategy. But oddly enough, it seems that Tucker Carlson laid it out when questioning Senator Tim Scott. Why not force a peace? How would you we do that? Do well, you could tell Ukraine, and they are a client state of the United States, without American backing, there's kind of no Ukraine. We're literally paying the salaries of their bureaucrats. Um, we want you to sit down as they tried to do, but were stopped by our government um, and stop this war. It just really seems that these candidates are just not prepared for a live show where they're going to be forced to make polarizing statements. And I think it's great. Who blew up the Nord Stream pipeline? I mean, I, I don't know. Do I'm, not, I'm not claiming you did it. No. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> now, he, he said let me, no let me gently take arrested? a break here. I know we disagree on this strongly, but I, I respect your right to your opinion on Ukraine, and I trust you'll respect mine. Just, I, I can't let you elide over the question of the treatment of Christians. And I, I know, I, I heard and that would again. You be, well, no, but hold on. Would I'm you not, be would The you problem be is willing? you don't accept my answer. I just told you that. Don't you think... Let me explain to you what I think our national interest is there. I would think you would have greater concern for religious liberty in Ukraine. Because Americans are tired of seeing this, what America used to be seen like this. But the only person that actually seemed to have an America first answer yes. was Vivek Ramaswamy. And we are pushing Russia closer into China's arms by actually continuing to arm Ukraine. I think so he might be what the I best said is that VP I would negotiate a deal that ends the Ukraine war, frees the current lines of control. Yes, that means giving part of the Donbass region to Russia. I would make a hard commitment that NATO never admits Ukraine to NATO. And those seem like unspeakable words in the, certainly the Republican donor class, but we get something greater in return, which is that Putin in that case would have to exit his military partnership with China. Where Ramaswamy actually earned points on border issues. I think there is no basis for us to send our young men and women 
our sons and daughters, people my age or any age, to go defend somebody else's border halfway around the world when we should be using our own military to secure our own border in this country. Compared to Scott's answer. I wonder what you do with the millions of foreign nationals here illegally, many with fake papers. Uh, what do you do with them? Do you deport them? I think it's a very difficult task to deport them all at one time. But here's what we make sure they never do, is you never break the law and become an American citizen by breaking the law. So hold on, like, would you deport any of them? How many would you deport? I, I think you have to start the process of identifying where they are. Listen, listen, this is a really important question. I hope we don't miss this. Because those folks who come into our country illegally, even those who are seeking asylum, go around our country. And some of the asylum dates for your... And this is just more of that traditional politician speak. Yeah, he kind of touched on what his answer was. But like a kid in school that has to write a 5,000-word book report, but never read the book. Now, I did like DeSantis's take on the border. This is something on day one, declare a national emergency, mobilize all resources, including the military, stop the invasion, yes, build the wall, but most importantly, authorize the border patrol, authorize our military to deal with the cartels. If they're breaking into our country, bringing product, if I'm in charge, that's gonna be the last thing they do because they're gonna end up stone cold dead. Amen which makes sense for Governor DeSantis. He made a name for himself with how he handles immigration and the lockdowns. So just like a rock band, he just needs to keep playing the hits. Had I been president 2020, Anthony Fauci would have been fired and you've gotta be willing to do it. Compared to Governor Asa Hutchinson's deflection. And how many COVID shots did you take and how do you feel about it now, in retrospect? How many COVID shots did you take? Zero. <laughs> And again, maybe it's just my age bracket, but this old school political gamesmanship just doesn't resonate with me. Just look at Mike Pence answer a question about 1-6. Do you think that was an insurrection? Well, first, can I just take a moment just to say thank you to the family leader, to Bob Vanderplatz and the whole team here. And to our friends at Blaze TV, including my old friend. Mike Pence just sounds like a guy that was just asked, are you talking to any other girls? I'm not mad, I just want to know. Because Pence knows there's a specific answer that we want to hear, and anything short of simply confirming that we're on the same page, one, means that he doesn't agree, and two, means that he's actually afraid to disagree. While Vivek seems to just dive right in. You want to know what caused January 6th? Is pervasive censorship in this country in the lead up to January 6th. You tell people in this country they cannot speak, that is when they scream. So for my honest takeaways of this very abridged version of an all day event is, there was only three people that actually came across well. And in order, it was Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Well, if I am the president on day one, we will nix central bank digital currency. Done, dead, not happening in this country. Entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy. I'm coming in with a clear-sided view, Glenn, of shutting down most of the administrative state. Which makes sense. I just think that the average American is tired of these career politicians. Your Joe Bidens, Bernie Sanders, Mitch McConnells. Because when you live a life of being a professional mooch off the American people, it's nearly impossible to relate to the average person like me. Yeah, politicians create jobs, but it's more like they use my money to pay my neighbor while taking a huge slice for themselves. So veterans and businessmen actually seem to have a better perspective on what Americans actually want. That is, 
until they get coached into being a standard politician. But oddly enough, the person that I think came out looking the best tonight is Tucker Carlson. I hope that <laughs> we'll be able to talk about some issues. I know that... Well, this is could... one of the biggest issues in the country, and I think I would every person in this room would agree. So Russia's bad, Russia's a threat, Putin's evil, got it. But the total body count from Russia in the United States is right around zero. Like, I don't know anyone who's been killed by Russia. I know people personally who've been killed by Mexico. Frankly, I mean, here's, here's... No Americans killed by Russia, yep. hundreds of thousands killed by Mexico, but Mexico's our ally and Russia's our enemy. How does that work? And I'm surprised I, I by I told your you answer. I raised the issue of religious liberty. No, you spoke to one person who's clearly I didn't on say one I side of it. As Tucker finds himself in a never-before-seen space in the political world, GOP politicians used to have to jump through the hoops of conservative networks to reach their audience. But Fox News is quickly becoming the New England Patriots without Tom Brady, or for my female viewers, in sync without Justin Timberlake, or for everybody else, an adorable kitten without its fur. Meaning that these Republicans need Tucker more than Tucker needs them, so they simply have to endure getting their butts tucked by Carlson. But unfortunately for the Republicans, they don't get new station simping like this. Uh, I think his staff needs to own his age. I'm just gonna be honest. I don't think they do a good job. <laughs> He's 80. You need to be there for him, and you need to make a pathway, and you sure as hell better make sure he doesn't fall on a sandbag. And I was at the staffer's fault <laughs> that there's literally a compilation of the president losing his battle oh with gravity. So much that they had to pull out the play school steps just for him to travel. Because the only reason they need to deflect for him so hard is because his replacement keeps on slipping up. When we invest in clean energy and electric vehicles and reduce population, more of our children can breathe clean oh, air what? and drink clean water. Now. Huh? Reducing the population in the name of cooling the planet is a whole nother video entirely, but at this point, we just need to focus on who is going to run against them, as the predicted website still has Trump far ahead, with DeSantis falling and Ramaswamy close behind. And in case you're wondering why Trump didn't make an appearance, it's because he doesn't need to, as he had his own event on the same night. Yeah. USA. So with the way things USA. are going right now, DeSantis saying he will be no one's VP, I honestly wonder if Vivek would be the complimentary piece that Trump needs, or would Kerry Lake better expand his draw, or some blockbuster crossover like Tucker Carlson and the TMF INR girl. So let me know in the comment section who you would vote for, and if you appreciate my concise, lighthearted commentary on what's really going on in the world, hopefully I've earned your subscription, then go check out the video on how the invasion of Spain became a cautionary tale of liberalism. Now, I, I love oh, Tucker, man. man. I love to like I, I have his book that he signed. It's one of my most prized possessions. But that uh, I mean, that he just did such a great job. I think it's because he doesn't pay attention to the news anymore. Now, while I personally have an aversion to modern American politics, I do have a suggestion, Jeremiah, that you might be able to get behind. Uh, how about a uh, a Trump VP pick of Tucker Carlson. <laughs> well, I, I would love that, but my thing is in today's world, sadly, there has to be a minority, especially if you're running against Biden. So it'd have to be somebody as good as Waraswamy. His name is hard to say, but I think he is going to get a lot of stuff done, whether he's VP or not. You know what I mean? Like he's a go-getter. He's a like you can yeah. tell he's on the top of his game. So at some point, I hope he becomes president. But 
that I've always wanted Tucker to run because I think he could run this country <laughs> better than a lot of people can. I mean, Mike Pence is a traitor. Oh yeah, I I think he definitely has a very rhino vibe to him. Some of his answers about Ukraine and and uh, you know I I think all of the contestants should be asked just like Tucker was asking. Did you receive the vaccine? <laughs> yeah. And see how many of them folded to the beast monkey uh, in the past two years. And uh, and I think votes should definitely be skewed based on uh, who participated and who didn't. Because, um, I mean, some of the things like uh, Ron DeSantis says, like, oh, I'm going to go against CBDC. It's, it's like, like I said, they're trying to jump on this bandwagon of mm -hmm. trutherism. Yep. Trying to be like, look, we, we are going to be aware of all these deceptions and all these things happening. But at the same time, they're blind to other things. So I don't I mean, know. Anyways, I hope you got a kick out of that one, Jeremiah. I loved it. Yeah. Trump, when I was at the rally, he said that, that Ron DeSantis was Soros funded. And then after he said that and I came home and I would see clips of DeSantis he was saying stuff but you could tell he didn't really mean what he was saying in my opinion like i used to love desantis but it's hard for me to now but uh i know yeah. a couple of our viewers would like Oprah to run for president and for me to be vp we could we could share vp what do you think about that yeah i, I can be co-vp yeah <laughs> or my yeah my co-vp then I could play my oh, then I could play my background music like everybody else is. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'd vote for you, Opa. Me too. I appreciate that. All right. Well, that's all the news for this week, Jeremiah. Thank you, Jake, for another great current news as always. Now, a quick video that I just put together of my mom's book, The Protocol That Kills. Kingsgate Media and Skiba News Nation present an exhaustive expose on government. The new amazing book, The Emotional and Disturbing True Story. Sheila Skiba. Following Rob Skiba's death, his widow, Sheila, and co-authors spent countless hours analyzing 40 days of recorded conversations, the transcripts of which appear in the book. This is an extremely well-written first-hand account of the horrors Sheila Skiba endured for the 40 days her husband was held captive in the hospital. It was hard to read and relive since I vividly remember when this was happening to this precious man. But I believe every person needs to know what was going on during the insanity of the pandemic. Sheila Skiba, the protocol that kills a true crime story. This book shares a wealth of critical insights that will greatly aid in preventing future needless losses of life. Available on Amazon. Order now. Find more at theprotocolthatkills.com. Now, big shout out to my friend Jerry Ward for making the, the video part. He did a great job. He sends all of those cool little Skiba News Nation things that you see. But yeah, if you want to find out what truly happened to my dad, check out The Protocol That Kills. And she exposes it all in this book. Well, it's about that time for an all new Opa's Corner. Take it away, Opa. The following presentation may contain too many cat jokes. Viewer discretion is advised. This presentation is rated CJ, Cat Jokes, Parental Guidance Suggested.
for Opa's Corner, so let's get started. A man who had spent his whole life in the countryside was visiting a friend. He'd never seen a train or the tracks they run on. While standing in the middle of the railroad tracks, he heard a whistle but didn't know what it was. Predictably, he's hit and is thrown to the side of the tracks. He was lucky sustaining some minor internal injuries, a few broken bones, and some bruises. After weeks in the hospital recovering, he's at his friend's house attending a party. While in the kitchen, he suddenly hears the kettle whistling. He grabs a baseball bat from a nearby closet and proceeds to batter and bash the kettle into an unrecognizable lump of metal. His friend, Hearing the ruckus, rushes into the kitchen, sees what has happened, and asks him, Why did you ruin my good kettle? Man, you gotta kill these things when they're small. <laughs> a husband and his wife were driving down a country lane on their way to visit some friends. They came to a muddy patch in the road and the car became bogged. After a few minutes of trying to get the car out by themselves, they saw a young farmer coming down the lane, driving some oxen before him. The farmer stopped when he saw the couple in trouble and offered to pull the car out of the mud for $50. The husband accepted, and minutes later, the car was free. The farmer turned to the husband and said, you know, you're the tenth car I've helped out of the mud today. The husband looks around at the fields and asks the farmer, When do you have time to plow your land at, at night? No, not as when I put the water in the hole. <laughs> a fellow walks into a bar very down on himself. As he walks up to the bar, the bartender asks, What's the matter? Well, I've got these two horses and, and well, <laughs> I can't tell them apart. I don't know if I'm mixing up riding times or even feeding them the right foods. <laughs> Why don't you try shaving the tail of one of the horses? The man stops crying and says, That sounds like a good idea. I think I'll try it. A few months later, he comes back to the bar in worse condition than he was before. What's the matter now? The bartender asks. The fellow, in no condition to be in public, answers, <laughs> I shaved the tail of one of the horses, but, but it grew back, and I can't tell them apart again. The bartender, now just wanting him to shut up and leave, says, Why don't you try shaving the mane? Maybe that will not grow back. The fellow stops crying, 
has a few drinks and leaves. A few months later, the fellow is back in the bar. The bartender has never seen anybody in this sorry state. Without the bartender even asking, the fellow tells him his problems. <laughs> I shaved the mane of one of the horses and it grew back. The bartender, now furious at the guy's general stupidity, yells, For crying out loud, just measure the stupid horses. Perhaps one is slightly taller than the other one. The fellow cannot believe what the bartender has says and storms out of the bar. The next day, the fellow comes running back into the bar as if he had just won the lottery. It worked! It worked! I measured the horses and the black one is two inches taller than the white one. During a terrible storm, all the highway signs were covered with snow. The following spring, the state decides to raise all the signs 12 inches at a cost of $6 million. A farmer talking to a state trooper says, That's outrageous price! I guess we're lucky the state handle it instead of the federal government. Why is that? The farmer paused for a minute before he responded. Because knowing the federal government, they'd have decided to lower the highway. <laughs> True. <laughs> a farmer got pulled over by a state trooper for speeding, and the trooper started to lecture the farmer about his speed, and in general, began to throw his weight around to make the farmer feel uncomfortable. Finally, the trooper got around to writing out a ticket. While he was writing, he kept swatting at some flies that were buzzing around his head. The farmer said, Having some problems with them circle flies, are you? The trooper stopped writing the ticket and said, Well, yeah, if that's what they are, but I've, I've never heard of circle flies. Well, Circle flies are common on farms. You see, they're called circle flies because they almost always are found circling around the back end of a horse. The trooper says, oh, and goes back to writing the ticket. Then after a minute, he stops and says, hey, wait a minute. Are you trying to call me a horse's rear? <laughs> oh, no, officer. I have too much respect for law enforcement and police officers to even think about calling you a horse's rear. Well, that's a good thing. He goes back to writing his ticket. After a long pause, the farmer says softly, Hard to fool them flies, though. <laughs> year after year, Bubba's wife pleaded with him to take her fishing, but he kept telling her she wouldn't enjoy it. She finally wore him down and he consented, and one early morning they took off to the lake. They hadn't been there very long when the fish began biting. Almost as fast as they cast, a fish would bite, and they reeled it in. 
After catching their limit, Bubba said, We're in a loose white thing. I'm sorry. You've been good luck, and I'm going to bring you with me next time. If you'll mark the spot where we caught all these fish, we'll go home. On the way home, Bubba turned to Vera Lou and said, Sweet thing, how'd you mark that spot where all the fish are so the next time I'll know? Bubba darling, I put a big X on the side of the boat right down closest to the water. Sweet thing, that's about the dumbest thing I have ever seen you do. Don't you know that won't work? We may not get the same boat the next time. (laughs) Many years ago, there were two sisters, one blonde and one brunette, who inherited the family ranch. Unfortunately, just after a few years, they're in financial trouble. In order to keep the bank from repossessing the ranch, They needed to purchase a bull from the stockyard in a faraway town so that they could breed their own stock. They only had $600 left. Upon leaving, the brunette tells her sister, When I get there, if I decide to buy the bull, I'll contact you to drive out after me and haul it home. The brunette arrives at the stockyard, inspects the bull, and decides she wants to buy it. The man tells her that he will sell it for $599, no less. After paying him, she drives to the nearest town to send her sister a telegram to tell her the news. She walks into the telegraph office and says, I want to send a telegram to my sister telling her that I bought a bull and She needs to hitch the trailer to our pickup and drive it out here so we can haul it home. The telegraph operator explains that he'd be glad to help her and then adds, It's just 99 cents a word. Well, after paying for the bull, the brunette only has one dollar left. She realizes she'll only be able to send her sister one word. After a few minutes of thinking, she nods and says, I want you to sell her the word comfortable. How's she ever gonna know that you want her to hitch the trailer to your pickup and drive it out here to haul that bull back to your ranch if you just send her the word comfortable? My sister is a blonde. The word, the word's big. And she'll read it very slowly. Come for the bull. <laughs> and now for the funnies. Captain sure does give some weird commands. <laughs> Walking the plane. African rake snake. Boink. 
student driver. In all fairness, you never covered bridge out signs in class. <laughs> How I'm awesome. One, I'm furry. Two, I'm lovable. Three, I'm a bad... <sighs> <laughs> That's accurate. You will enjoy the lap of luxury. You will enjoy the luxury of lap. <laughs> I can't believe the way kids nowadays wear their collars. <laughs> Casual. Just act casual. <laughs> Cat showers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For crying out loud, Patrick, sit down and enough with the give me the potatoes or give me death nonsense. <laughs> Hey everyone, Simmons here just uttered a discouraging word. <laughs> Pick me up. Are you talking to me? Yes. Pick me up. Kiss me and I'll turn into the most beautiful woman you have ever seen. I'll make sure all your friends are envious and jealous because I will be your woman. Hmm. What are you... Are you nuts? Didn't you hear what I said? I said, kiss me and I'll, I'll be your beautiful bride. Nah, at my age I'd rather have a talking frog. <laughs> Being the bottom of the ninth, one run down with two outs and a runner on second, Barry knew his team's only hope was a double base hit. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I know some weeks it's really hard to stay on top of the laundry pile. <laughs> New York, 1626. Chief of the Manhattan Indians addresses his tribe for the last time. To begin, I'd like to show you this. Isn't it a beaut? <laughs> That's distracting. When I was a little girl, I was told if I made an ugly face, it could freeze and stay like that. Well, teacher, you can't say you weren't warned. Mm -hmm. 
The Bird Watcher Watchers. Ooh, a khaki vested punch belly. <laughs> the condo looks nice, but are there any strings attached? Come on, Toby. Throw in some strings to bat around. <laughs> Welcome to New York State. To enter the state, please solve the following problem. 2x squared plus 7 divided by 3 equals 13. Solve for x. It's part of the state's new emphasis on improving education. I'm afraid you'll have to turn around, Mr. Straub. <laughs> College Bursar. Instead of repaying my student loan, I'm returning my diploma. It didn't work. <laughs> it wasn't so much that Ed's cell phone rang during the Sunday sermon. It was that his ringtone was Highway to Hell. <laughs> Not that rare. <laughs> As a small band of hunter-gatherers sat around cleaning their weapons, one made the mistake of looking at his club straight on. Whoomph! <laughs> Life of a Tuxedo Cat. Look who's overdressed again. <laughs> <laughs> Hmm, very interesting. <laughs> Do you work here? Yes. I need to buy a Barbie doll for my daughter. How much are they? Which Barbie? We have Barbie goes to the gym. For 1995. Barbie goes to the ball for 1995. Barbie goes to the beach for 1995. Barbie goes shopping for 1995. Barbie goes nightclubbing for 1995. And divorce Barbie for $395. Why is divorce Barbie so much more expensive than the others? It's obvious. Divorce Barbie comes with Ken's house, Ken's car, Ken's boat, Ken's <laughs> furniture. Uh. <laughs> it's a new social media app called Strings. Everyone talks about Strings, they're attacked. Strings, they're chewed. Strings, they're about to attack. This looks amazing. <laughs> Hey, that's milk. 
And you said you were empty, you stinking liar. Failed attempt at camouflage to escape the bath. <laughs> Volume 5 in a series. The Life Book. Home Surgery. Aha! There's the old gallbladder. Dang it, Lois! Would you knock off all this squirming around business? <laughs> Carl, you're going to get out there, and you're going to catch that red dot. <laughs> and that concludes an episode of Opa's Corner. My hut, der hat drei Ecken, drei Ecken hat mein Hut, und hat er nicht drei Ecken. Opa's Corner is now available on my own YouTube channel. Like, share, and subscribe. This is why he needs to be president. Thank you. Thank you. Opa 2024. Thank you, Opa, for another great Opus Corner. Now a word from our friend, JJ. Are you tired of living in constant pain? Do you feel like you've tried every CBD product on the market with no relief? Look no further than JJ's Natural CBD Rub. When I was diagnosed with degenerative disc disease, this was the only product that completely took my pain away. Working with JJ has been a dream come true, and his products have completely changed my life. Don't just take my word for it. Visit JJ's website, jjcbdrub.com, and read hundreds of testimonials from people whose lives have been changed by all of JJ's amazing products. And now, as a Skiba News Nation exclusive, you can get $50 off a three-pack special of JJ's Natural CBD Rub by texting CBD to 920-382-7720. Don't suffer in silence any longer. Take control of your pain today with JJ's Natural CBD Rub. Again, text CBD to 920-382-7720 for an exclusive discount and start feeling the relief you deserve. The links are in the description below. Thank you, JJ. You've helped so many people in my family. I don't think you've even realized. You helped my dad, my mom, Opa, me. Uh, your products are amazing. So if you guys haven't already tried JJ CBD Rub, get some because it's awesome. All right, well, it's time for some mystery. So this week for history, we're going to be talking about several different things. And the first two topics aren't really that history, but we'll, we'll get into history. So this first clip is something that really touched me. And uh, someone at the Sacred Word Revealed conference, Zen's conference in Atlanta, Georgia, was a big fan of my dad. And I saw him looking at my book and I, I, I felt led to give him one.
and he has a weekly Torah study and he tied it in with his message. So I wanted to share this with you guys because it touched me and I thought you guys would enjoy it. So check this out. We studied, I believe it was this word, and trust, commit. Messiah committed his spirit and he also trusted in Elohim according to Psalm 22, the prophecy there. So Messiah trusted, Messiah had faith, and he even talks about the trustworthy servant. And Messiah places faith in us, we've talked about. Um, patho was the word that he trusted in Elohim, uh, but this is the word for he trusted in Elohim. And I'm going to be doing a couple plugs. The first one is off of faith. And I wanted to just share about, uh, I finished this book by Jeremiah Skiba. There's a good story about trust. This is Jeremiah Skiba and this is Rob Skiba. And, you know, basically the hospital system murdered him because of their deadly protocols, what they the, the drugs they were prescribing and putting them on the vent. Jeremiah tells how Rob adopted him. He had to learn as a 11 to 13 year old how to trust again because his biological father essentially abandoned him. And I was just very uh, moved and affected by this story because Rob was an amazing father. He adopted Jeremiah and so let's see i just wanted to read a paragraph about trust that as i was studying the topic of trust this came up in my reading because i was reading this book they actually went to this camp a father-son camp and i thought man i want to go to a father-son camp with my son and it they had to go through a bunch of tasks to build trust in each other in a father and son relationship. And so this is what I underlined there. I'm actually going to give this book to my dad. Building trust in someone else was a profound struggle for me because I had forgotten how to trust a long time ago. At the camp, I had no choice but to learn to trust again as there were daily trust tests, trust tests, daily. So relationships require trust, such as closing one's eyes and free falling backwards into your father's arms. That's a good analogy, free falling back into the father's arms. I learned I could absolutely and without hesitation trust Rob. I was learning to trust once again because I now knew a trustworthy man, my father, Rob. And a very moving short story, mostly pictures, my favorite kind of book. It's all pictures mostly. It's actually only, it's seven chapters. And after that camp, uh, Rob wrote a letter to Jeremiah because this was at the outset of them having a father and son relationship. Someone 
purchase this camp thing for them to go to for fathers and sons because they had to learn how to be a, a father and a son. And at the end of that week of camp, he wrote um, a letter. Actually, <laughs> I wrote something in there, but he it shows a copy of what Rob wrote to his son. And it's just a very moving thing to read Rob's writing to his adopted son and the, some of the first words of how he would start that relationship out and he actually talks about Solomon saying a good name is rather to be chosen than riches or gold and he basically says that Jeremiah is the anointed the the chosen one to carry on the Skiba name now and he's he's giving him his son his name so he actually proposed to both of them essentially he wanted to marry his mom and adopt her son and he talks about in that letter carrying on the Skiba name the new name he had been given um, to have a real father as his biological father was a disappointment yep. and so Jeremiah is he's stepping up to fill the shoes and that's what he's been doing and he actually gave me this book when I talked to him at the sacred word conference so I wanted to share that I thought that was a fascinating story and of course the his mom has her book that uh, exposes all the hospital system and the fraud that was committed and I think that's very important thank you Trevor for sharing that with me uh, it, it really moved me um, so thank you so do you remember last week Jake when we were talking about the $20 bill and I was kind of blowing your mind a little bit yeah yeah did you ever check it out because that's what this next video is about I put I recorded myself showing you guys you want to see it i'm ready let's play it hey skiba news nation family i want to show you this real quick so, here. so here's a 20 dollar bill straight out of a wallet i'm gonna set that down this is a photo of jeffrey epstein now tell me that doesn't look like the same person and if they're not the same person they're related 100 percent same person. There's Jackson. Epstein. There's Jackson. There's Epstein. What do you think? Let me know. <laughs> wow. That's an overlay I did. Crazy, huh? I think we have found his long last ancestor at or the very least. Doppelganger, as we were talking about last <laughs> week amazing so, that yeah that's really interesting to see yeah i wanted to put that little clip together for you guys so so if if you know you can't like i don't have any cash on me i had to borrow that from my girlfriend so if you don't have any cash on you there you go okay so now we're going to be diving into history it's you don't have to play the clip again it's fine but we're going to be talking about the tragic life of one of hollywood's i would say biggest stars and and how his life 
was plagued with murders that happened all around him. So let's you'll 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 notice the star when it shows, but let's play that first clip. Freddie Glenn was born January 6th, 1957. He arrived in Colorado Springs in the fall of 1974, fleeing what he would later describe as an abusive situation at home in St. Petersburg, Florida. His father drank and beat his mother. 17-year-old Freddie tried to protect her and got beat himself. His father declared that Freddie had to go or he would kick them all out, including Freddie's mom and his sisters. Freddie went. He had an aunt who worked in food services at Fort Carson, a United States Army post located directly south of Colorado Springs. He stayed with her a few weeks, then found a civilian job at the base and moved into an apartment house that was full of Fort Carson people, including GIs not much older than Glenn. The fact that Glenn had his own car, a white Oldsmobile, made him a popular fellow. Many of the soldiers couldn't afford their own wheels and were often dead broke. Glenn began hanging out with Michael Corbett and Larry Dunn, two of the army guys he met in the apartment house. Corbett was 19 and seemed to have a fascination with violence. Dunn was in his 30s and had been to Vietnam, where, it was said, he'd seen things that messed with his head. On the night of June 19, 1975, Corbett and Dunn began talking about wanting to pull a robbery to alleviate their chronic lack of funds and needing transportation to make the robbery happen. After drinking some wine, smoking some weed, and taking two hits of LSD, Glenn agreed to drive them. He took them to the Four Seasons Motor Inn. He stayed in the car while Corbett and Dunn strolled across the parking lot. Glenn was surprised when they returned not with the motel's receipts, but with a 29-year-old man named Daniel Van Loan. A cook at the motel, Van Loan had been getting into his car when Dunn ordered him at gunpoint to come with them. They put him in Glenn's car and blindfolded him with a scarf provided by Glenn and drove him to a remote area. Police at the time said Van Loan begged for his life but to no avail. They made him lie on the ground and was fatally shot in the head and robbed, netting his abductors just 50 cents. Eight days later, Glenn and Corbett would meet with another Fort Carson soldier named Winfred Prophet, intending to sell him some marijuana. Corbett arranged to meet him at Memorial Park. Glenn drove him there and remained in the car while Corbett went into the park. The release says Corbett stabbed him in the chest, and later told investigators his only reason for stabbing Prophet to death was to see what it feels like to stab someone with a bayonet. Glenn and Corbett committed their final and most publicized murder on July 1st, 1975. Glenn, Corbett, and two other men decided to rob a Red Lobster restaurant. Finding it closed, they changed their plans and abducted an 18-year-old employee named Karen Grammer, who was still at the restaurant waiting for her boyfriend to get off work. After robbing a 7-Eleven and emerging with $60 in cash and some cheap jewelry, the men took Grammer to the apartment they shared, where they raped her repeatedly. They promised to take Grammer home, then sat her in the car, put a cloth over her head. They then drove around discussing, in her presence, what to do with her. Upon concluding they couldn't risk releasing her, Freddie Glenn took her out of the car, stabbed her repeatedly in the throat, back in hand. They left her for dead in an alley, but she wasn't dead yet. Grammer crawled about 50 yards to a trailer in a nearby trailer park. She attempted unsuccessfully to reach the doorbell, leaving bloody handprints on the side of the trailer. Karen Grammer died in that position to be found by the trailer's occupant when he awoke the next morning. Police were unable to determine who she was until her roommate at the time called to report her missing and subsequently identified her. As it turns out, Karen Grammer was the sister of Hollywood actor Kelsey Grammer, who is best known for his roles in the TV shows Cheers and Fraser. So this man, Kelsey Grammer, best known for Fraser. I mean, what a heartbreaking story um, about his sister and... You know, he in the second clip, I'm going to show you, he actually forgave the man that killed his sister. And 
but that doesn't end the tragedy and it's just so sad to see so let's play the second clip Glenn distanced himself from Corbett and Dunn after that night and soon moved out of the apartment house but the crimes didn't stay unsolved for long largely because Corbett went on killing people and bragging about it Three weeks after Grammer's murder, Corbett shot Winslow Watson III in the face over a stolen loaf of bread. A few weeks after that, he was arrested and charged with a shotgun slaying at a bar. He was suspected, but not charged in several other high-profile crimes. Pressure was brought to bear on Larry Dunn, who struck a deal for immunity in exchange for testifying against Corbett and Glenn. Corbett and Glenn were originally sentenced to death for the murders, according to prosecutors but they were resentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole after 10 years when the U.S. Supreme Court overturned all existing death sentences in 1979. During a parole hearing for Freddie Glenn in 2014, Kelsey Grammer would forgive the man who raped and killed his sister, but says the murderer should not be released. I want to believe that you actually have, have changed your life. I want to believe that you could even find a way to become a, a useful, productive citizen, flourish. The things you say, I accept a lot of them. She was a terrific kid. She was a wonderful, wonderful person. I miss her all the time. And I, ex I accept that you actually live with remorse every day of your life, but I live with tragedy every day of mine. However, this wouldn't be the only tragedy that would befall the actor. So, like you said, that's not the only tragedy he ever experienced. And, you know, my point of playing this Kelsey Grammer thing is not all Hollywood actors, or not everybody in Hollywood is bad. Like... I've heard so many good things about this man, and maybe we can get into it after this last clip, Jake, but um, yeah, there's so much that surrounds him and so much heartbreak, so let's play the last clip. When Grammer was just 13, his father was mindlessly murdered in a home invasion where they lived in St. Thomas. During a period of racial violence in the wake of Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassination, his father, Frank's car, was set on fire whilst parked on his driveway. Frank confronted the stranger and was shot twice. When testifying, his wife and mother of Kelsey's four half-siblings said she had to pull Frank's body from in front of the car as the man threatened to run him over after already murdering him. The man responsible for Frank's murder was found not guilty of murder due to insanity, spending decades in a psychiatric ward. He was eventually released in 1994, but was put away again in 2003 after threatening to kill the judge that ordered a restraining order on him. Five years after Karen's appalling murder, Kelsey once again found himself tackling a period of intense pain. Stephen and Billy, Kelsey's two half-brothers, both sadly died in a scuba diving accident in St. Thomas. During the dive, Billy failed to resurface. Stephen went back down to look for him, but died of an air embolism having ascended improperly. Billy's body was never recovered. Another incident in the family took place when Kelsey Grammer's daughter, Spencer Grammer, was viciously stabbed at a restaurant in New York. In July 2020, Spencer Grammer, also an actress and the voice of Summer on the popular TV show Rick and Morty, was hanging out with a friend in the East Village area when they noticed an argument outside a restaurant named The Black Ant. The dispute was between a restaurant patron and a drunken passerby who was demanding to be served. The man showed up and demanded entry, but he was turned away as closing time was approaching. As their argument escalated, she and her friend attempted to break up the fight. The man, believed by witnesses to have been intoxicated, reportedly went into a rage and drew a knife. He then began indiscriminately attacking guests and employees. Spencer and her friend were both injured by the attacker while trying to protect others. Spencer was stabbed through the hand, 
resulting in injury to her median nerve and two severed tendons, while her friend was stabbed in the back. Both were treated at the hospital, where Spencer underwent surgery to repair the damage to her nerves. Although the NYPD released footage of the suspect, the man has yet to be identified or caught, and the investigation is still ongoing. So if you guys know that man, call the NYPD. But Jake, what do you, what do you think about all this? Pretty dark, man. I don't, I don't know what to think. You know, it's just people are evil. And uh, when they're given the opportunity, you know, what they have inside comes out. It's uh, pretty shocking. And don't we kind of have, we know something about Kelsey Grammer, right? Was that you who told me that? Uh, or oh, no. It? I don't know if it was me. So it must have been me. Uh I don't even know if I'm supposed to say this, but I'm going to say it. He is a part of the FE community. Did oh, you know yeah, that? that's right. Yeah, we were discussing that with the conspiracy music guru. Yeah, and he actually helped solve his sister's murder. Now, I couldn't find any clips of that, but he was like on their butts, you know, to try to get the investigation to keep going and, and like most people think of him as just a, another Hollywood actor or, or whatever, but he's a real person. You know, the, all these celebrities, they're real people. And he seems to be like a really good person. I don't know him personally, but I would love to have him on the show. And so if any of our viewers know Kelsey Grammer or know how to get a hold of him, please uh, send us the info at submit at skeepanewsnation.com because he'd be a fascinating interview. So... That's all I got this week for history. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Jeremiah. That was great. Thanks, man. All right. Now, before we move on, I'd like to share a promo from Next Wave Probiotics. Next Wave Probiotics is an all-natural liquid probiotic made right here in the DFW Metroplex. Take one to three ounces daily to support your microbiome and immune system. Try it the next time you have heartburn. Drinking five ounces can relieve heartburn symptoms in 15 to 20 minutes. Order directly from Next Wave Probiotics. Their website is nextwaveprobiotics.com and enter code SKIBA at checkout for $5 off every 32 ounce bottle you buy. Now, I wouldn't sell you guys a product that I didn't personally believe in. Both me and my mom have both tried it. My mom, it only took about 15 minutes to get rid of her stomach ache and about 10 minutes for mine. So get yourself some Next Wave Probiotics today at nextwaveprobiotics.com. I'm Jim Hallard, and I'm 70 years old. I tried Next Wave Probiotics seven years ago because a friend told me it would help my reflux. It did. So I bought the rights to the process and formula. Me and my family have been making the probiotics, taking the probiotics, introducing others to Next Wave Probiotics ever since. Give Next Wave Probiotics a try. Your body will love you for it. So that was the, the owner of Next Wave Probiotics uh, talking about his product. And I've wanted that for a long time and they finally sent it to me so so that you guys could actually hear from the, the people making it. So yeah. So you got some means for me, Jake? Yeah, I got a couple. I'm ready for it. Meet me up. Alright guys, uh, some funny memes, some serious memes, some conspiracy memes. Here we go. 
so what's the one thing you mostly look for in a woman? XX chromosomes. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Oh, man. But what is a woman? Right. What is a woman, right? Uh, we have this one. It's a flat earth proof, right? Mount Everest from an airplane using a non-fish-eyed lens camera. The height of Mount Everest is 29,000 feet. An airplane flying at an altitude of 35,000 feet sees the horizon rise to eye level. This is super fascinating. Without a GoPro wide-angle fish-eyed lens camera, the always horizontal horizon always rises up to meet the eye level of the observer, regardless of altitude. Dun-dun-dun! Just uh, look into it, y'all. Um, wow. No matter how high up you go, the horizon always rises to eye level. It's really interesting. Hmm. All right, check this out. If you can't realize that most are brainwashed, then you've been perfectly brainwashed. <laughs> uh, how Sadly, true. Sadly, that's true. Yeah. Because, you know. They uh... say Noah was a crazy conspiracy theorist. Then the rain came and the fact checkers drowned. <laughs> oh man that's great and last one for this week oh look electric car food <laughs> that is funny. it's uh i think they're transporting <laughs> lithium batteries and, and whatnot but uh i just thought that was funny but that is funny aren't yep. they putting out more pollution something that they're yeah, trying to get yeah, rid of with the with the amount of uh effort it takes to mine that stuff it definitely is uh more uh, environment polluting than your traditional uh, gas-powered vehicles. <laughs> yeah. All right, Jake. All right. Well, that that's all the memes for this week, Jeremiah. All right, man. Thank you for another great current news. Memes as always. Opa, thank you for another great Opa's Corner. I, I hope you guys enjoyed the history slash other stuff segment. Uh, we hope you enjoyed today's episode. Never quit fighting. Let no man deceive you. Thank you for standing alongside us as we fight for justice and continue this quest for truth. Subscribe and stay tuned. If you would like to submit a story, topic, or have any other inquiries, please email submit at skibanewsnation.com. Also, you can email Jeremiah Skiba personally at jeremiah at skibanewsnation.com. Also, email Jake personally at jake at skibanewsnation.com. If you want to write us a letter, send us something, help support us, or just say hi, please send your letter to Jeremiah Skiba, P.O. Box 560-271, The Colony, Texas 75056. If you write us a letter, I'll do my best to write you back. Hey, Skiba News Nation family, thank you for watching. Please like, share, subscribe, and click that notification bell so you never miss an episode of Skiba News Nation. If you want to help support us, please consider becoming a Patreon where you will get exclusive content, shoutouts, and much more. And you can also support our channel by getting yourself some new Skiba News Nation merch. Thank you for coming on this journey with us as we continue to stay on the quest for truth. Huge shout out to all our Patreon supporters. Thank you so much for your support. We couldn't do this show without you. If you want to help support us, go to patreon.com forward slash Skiba News Nation. Also, you can listen to Skiba News Nation podcast on your favorite podcast platform.